on May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. This episode is brought to you by AARP. 18 years from tonight, Grant Gill will become a comedy legend when he totally kills it at his improv class's graduation performance. Knees will be slapped. Hilarity will ensue. That's why he's already keeping himself in shape and razor sharp today with wellness tips and tools from AARP to help make sure his health lives as long as he does. Because the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org slash healthy living. Witness Docs from Stitcher. So we're going to meet Terrell Musser, and he grew up in Short Creek, FLDS, and left when Warren came to power. I think fled with his girlfriend, which he wasn't supposed to have. In a quarter of a mile, left turn on Cook Avenue. He moved back here several years ago and has been involved, really involved in the town activism. You have arrived at your destination on the right. How you doing? I'm Carol. Nice to meet you. I'm just admiring the view of your backyard. Yeah. It's majestic. It's hard to see the beauty off the highway. If you just drive past, you can't see it. You got to get off and come up Maxwell Canyon. This is Terrell Musser. He's showing me and our producer, John, around his property in Short Creek. I have just a little over an acre, but we live on just the backside of Zions. Very few outsiders have got to come back and see these mountains. Zions is Zion National Park. If you've never seen a photo, look one up. It's a green valley surrounded by these giant red rock cliffs, and it's one of the most gorgeous places in America. And you said this was the house that you grew up in? The house I was raised in. Can you talk to us a little bit? Like, tell us, like, some memories you had? Like, what did you do? So up here, this, we used to have our whole garden, quarter of an acre, and that's what we'd feed our whole family. And we milked our own cows, made our own butter, made our own cheese. Did you just traipse around in these canyons as a kid? We call this right here the saddle. And every day you'd climb that and slide down. That's how that trail got started. The young boys would go up there and they'd slide down that hill as kids. And we've always just done that. We could go play. We could ride horses. You know, we could go fishing. We'd go camping. We were free. Growing up out here, I loved it. Out here, I had the best life ever. Terrell Musser is a positive guy, the kind of person who says things like, best life ever. And Terrell is one of many people we talked to who shared fond memories of their childhood here in Short Creek. I have lived here all my life, born and raised here. I've loved it. It was a real community, a real village. It was fun. I didn't really start to notice that we were different from the rest of the world until I was about 12. We were having a good time, so it just didn't matter. 
the general culture was quite centered around community spirit of good hard work and going to bed early, where the idea of nightlife is listening to the crickets. All these canyons, Skunk Canyon, Squirrel Canyon, Indian Box Canyon, there's about 23 miles of canyons that come out to what we call Short Creek. But no, this, this area, when you grow up here, you long for these red mountains. The place people are describing, the safe communal village they grew up in, it's the same community Elisa Wall wanted to leave in 1999. There was no hell on earth or in heaven that was threatening because the hell that I was in was worse than anything I could even conceive. So what happened? Today, we're going to hear about Short Creek before Elisa Wall or Warren Jeffs arrived because we want to understand how this place changed so much. And we'll spend some time with Terrell Musser, one of the first people to see those changes and leave. I'm Sarah Ventry. I'm Ash Sanders. From Witness Docs and Critical Frequency, this is Unfinished Short Creek. Episode 2, Profits and Losses. These days, Terrell Musser doesn't hike around his beloved canyon so much, at least not on foot. He has a rare genetic disease called Milroy's that causes pain and swelling in his legs, and he's also been battling bone cancer for years. I was 90 pounds when I first came out here. I couldn't walk. I'd been so sick and my spine had been so damaged and the cancer was so extreme. And On good days, Terrell uses a cane to get around. On bad days, he uses an all-terrain wheelchair the community helped him buy, a contraption that kind of looks like a tank and a chair had a baby. Terrell's no longer in the FLDS church, and we'll tell you why later. But after 15 years away, he's back in Short Creek and super active in the community. Started doing the Cottonwood Park cleanup days, and that got us to where we are over there. And... Hang on for a second. <laughs> Pause. Don't cause problems. Taro lives with his wife and children in the same house he lived in as a child. You can take this to the lake, but if you guys play with it again, you guys can't have it. They're about to go swimming so Taro can show us around the house. So much fun. <laughs> so, yeah, can you tell us a little bit yeah. about your family's old house? 48. My brothers and sisters were raised in this house. 48. Had three moms, and we were nine a bedroom. We had three decker bunk beds. I slept about a foot off the ceiling most of my life. Just, that was the ceiling. <laughs> like when you wake up, yeah, you're like, you oh. don't jump up. <laughs> you wake up, and there's the ceiling, but like I say, it was, it was awesome. 48 brothers and sisters is a lot of siblings, even in a Shore Creek fundamentalist family. Terrell's mom had 17 children. 17. That means she was pregnant or recovering from being pregnant for like 25 years. So probably not so fun for her, but lots of fun for Terrell. There were always kids to play with. 
Every part of the community revolved around family, from church to chores to hiking in the hills. As long as they were home at mealtimes, none of their three moms cared where they went. Breakfast every day was at 6 o'clock, lunch was at lunch, and dinner was at 5. And my mom was the first mom. So every day, the moms had a schedule. One mom would be on cook, one mom would be on tend, and one mom would be on laundry. And the three moms would rotate. And their kids helped. So if you were on cook, that mom's kids would all get together and they would cook for the entire family for that day. Mother Mary Dean, best cook. When she was cooking, I loved eating her food. Mother Mary, I hated her food. She'd put the spaghetti and all the leftovers in the bread. So you'd cut your bread and it'd have noodles and zucchinis and mush. And we believed in using everything, you know, but not that much. <laughs> not <you know>? that <laughs> much. The youngest wife was Mother Maydeen, was my, my mom's full-blooded baby sister. I mean, how would that be to be married to the same man and then she, he married your little sister, have kids? and But no, they actually got along really well. My mom was the heart. That, you know, my relationship with my mom, you know, that's where I learned how to work. That's where I learned how to garden. That's where I learned how to clean. I never saw my dad change a diaper. I never saw my dad do the dishes you know, he came in the night and prayed with us, and he was our priesthood head and took us fishing, and he was a good dad, but I learned more from my mom. Mm. My dad taught me how to play. My mom taught me how to work. The prophet who helped build the short creek that Terrell and others remember so fondly was a man named Leroy Johnson. I've devoted my work to the building up and establishment of the kingdom of God. This is not my work, the work of God. Leroy Johnson was in charge of the community from the 1950s to the 80s. Being prophet meant his followers believed he spoke for God on earth. But everyone we talked to described him as a warm, caring leader, a man of the people. This is a community pageant in Short Creek in the 90s. Almost everyone called Leroy Johnson Uncle Roy. These are the things that Uncle Roy has taught us. Growing up in the mainstream Mormon church, we'd never refer to our prophet as uncle. We'd call him President So-and-so. But to Short Creek, Uncle Roy felt like a part of the community. I loved him, but I didn't really think of him as a prophet if that makes sense. Uncle Roy was the kind of person that lived among us, and he didn't live above us. His home was just as humble as everybody else's. He'd just give you a hug, shake your hand. It was more of just an uncle. We'd all get together for Uncle Roy's birthday and have watermelon. Uncle Roy's birthday, which we'd all get together and have watermelon. He'd serve watermelon, and you'd go through the line and shake his hand. We become united that the blessings of this land might be realized. Oh, may God bless you. I humbly pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Lots of folks talked about life under Uncle Roy as the golden days of Short Creek. It was fun, but also a lot of work. At one time, this town was completely self-sufficient. We had our own food source. We had our own power plant. We had our own gas. We had everything. FLDS and Short Creek grew food on a farm in the middle of town. They held Saturday work projects for community improvements. When someone needed a house, they'd all get together and build one, sometimes in a matter of days. 
The whole community was working to build what they called Zion in Short Creek, a sort of heaven on earth, a Mormon city of God. In our religion, we feel like there's a united order, a way to live. The united order. The united order. You are living the united order now. The united order. United order. The Lord has called us to live the united order. And this is what it entails. It means everybody's on equal ground. Everybody gets the same house. Everybody gets the same food. Everybody gets the same service. We're all equal. Everybody works and turns everything into the storehouse. Everybody lives off the storehouse. The United Order is basically the system for building Zion. It's been part of Mormonism since the early days. The goal is to create a community where no one is rich or poor and everyone is equal. And to get there, everyone shares everything. Food, labor, even houses and land. Think about this for a second. In the 1950s, most Americans were going crazy for capitalism buying houses in the suburbs, and fighting the specter of communism. But at the same time, on the border of two very conservative states, Leroy Johnson's Short Creek was living the lefty dream. I know that the devil's version of the United Order would be communism, in my view. Joseph Allard is the mayor of Colorado City, the town on the Arizona half of Short Creek. He's FLDS, and his view is that sharing your possessions and living the United Order, it's not about communism. It's about devotion to God. It can solve the ills of society if it's done the right way. And if the author of it is the Lord God, old people getting taken care of and young people staying busy and all the things that you would think of in a utopian society, then that can be found in a United Order effort. As Short Creek grew, the community was sharing more and more land. So early community leaders created a legal trust to protect that land from government interference. That trust was known as the United Effort Plan, or UEP. And remember that name, because the UEP will end up being at the center of a lot of disagreement. People were allowed to build homes on the property, knowing that they were never going to have the deed to them, but neither was a bank. And so there was a security in it. That's Shirley Draper. Her grandfather was one of the founders of the UEP. Shirley says that every time someone moved to the community, new land was donated to the trust and more homes were built. And all of this was under church control. The private land trust made it so that, you know, whoever ran the UEP Trust, got to say who lived there and who built where and all of that. Growing up, everybody that I knew and their parents and their grandparents knew that the property was owned by the United Effort Plan as an arm of the FLDS Church. And as you build on the property, it is a consecration to the church. Consecration is a big word in Mormonism. When you consecrate something, you give it to God. In return, God blesses you, and he blesses the whole community. Every piece of sheetrock, every shingle, every two-by-four was a consecration. So the UEP wasn't just a land trust. It was an exercise in faith, a proclamation that the entire community belonged to God, a way to live the united order. Do you remember when you were 19 and you got the permission to 
build the house and that crew of people came over to help you. Do you remember what that felt like? I do. I, I do. I remember what it felt like. The, the feeling of camaraderie, the feeling of brotherly love. And when people can feel that godly, honest love for one another, really the, in the United Order, the only competition is whether I can see if I can bless you more than you can bless me. So, yes, it, it, it is the way of the gods. It's, it's perfection on earth. And I would say that as far as the United Order, there's been an effort to work toward living the United Order in the community. That effort is only as perfect as the people that are living it. Leroy Johnson did a lot to build the communal spirit of Shore Creek. But there's one more very important thing Uncle Roy believed in. Well, there has to be a head, and there has to be a man through whom the Lord speaks. And I believe in section 132, verse 7, you'll find it clarified. If you spend any time in Short Creek, you'll probably run into this guy. This is Alvin Smith Barlow, Sr. My parents are John Y. Barlow and Martha Jessup. Barlow, known as Aunt Maddie. I was born April 15, 1938, in Short Creek, Utah. Alvin's lived in Short Creek almost his entire life. His father was the prophet before Leroy. And after he died, Leroy practically raised Alvin. So Alvin understood how Leroy ran things. Back when Leroy became prophet, a council of men advised him on how to run the community. And for decades, Leroy shared power with this council. But as time passed, he became more interested in a doctrine called one-man rule. It's found in Mormon scripture, in a book called The Doctrine and Covenants. Can you tell me what section 132 verse 7 says? I'd have to get it and read it, but it does say there's one man on the earth at a time, a man through whom the Lord speaks, that has the keys to this authority. In other words, there was no need for a council. So under one-man rule, Leroy started taking away the council's power. When members died, he didn't appoint new ones. And one day in 1984, he walked to the pulpit and kicked out council members who disagreed with him. Alvin was at the meeting house that day. What happened? He asked them to be seated in the audience. As opposed to sitting, uh, like... On the stage with him? Yes. Okay. That's as I recall it. But uh, President Johnson clearly stated that there was one man on the earth at a time, and that's the way it's been through eternity. So. Leroy didn't just kick these men off the council. He kicked them out of the community and out of their homes on UEP land. The doctrine of one-man rule would ultimately outlive Leroy Johnson. He died in 1986, but this one little passage from Mormon scripture would have a lasting impact on Shore Creek. Absolute control of the trust and the church would now pass to the next prophet, and that man was not a man of the people. He'd come down in his Learjet for one. Oh, he came in a Learjet. 
After the break, Rulin Jeffs becomes the new prophet. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. This episode is brought to you by AARP. 18 years from tonight, Grant Gill will become a comedy legend when he totally kills it at his improv class's graduation performance. Knees will be slapped. Hilarity will ensue. That's why he's already keeping himself in shape and razor sharp today with wellness tips and tools from AARP to help make sure his health lives as long as he does. Because the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org healthy living. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Hi, everyone. Before we get back to the show, there's two quick things I want to tell you about. First, we're working on a bonus episode where Sarah and I will respond to your questions and comments. So send them to unfinished at stitcher.com. Is there something in the show you want to know more about? Is there a moment that resonates with you? Let us know. We'd love to hear your voice. So if you can, email us a voice memo. Regular emails are also great. Send them to unfinished at stitcher.com. And the second thing, if you don't want to wait for the weekly release of Unfinished Short Creek, you can binge all the episodes of this season right now, only on Stitcher Premium. As a premium listener, you also get ad-free listening to all Stitcher and Earwolf shows. Plus, you play a key role in supporting the kind of reporting it takes to make this show. Just go to stitcherpremium.com or the premium tab in your Stitcher app and sign up with the code WITNESS for a free month of premium listening. You'll get to hear all 10 episodes of Unfinished Short Creek right now, ad-free. That's stitcherpremium.com, promo code WITNESS for a free month of Stitcher Premium. Okay, back to the show. So he'd fly in, and if you were lucky, you could go out and catch him at the airport, you know. Rulin Jeffs was a very different prophet than what the people of Short Creek were used to. He lived in Salt Lake City, so he didn't have that same rural man-of-the-people vibe that Leroy did. But he was one of Leroy's closest advisors on the priesthood council. When Leroy died, Rulin was the next in line. We hated when Rulin came to town. When the prophet would show up, it just everything would change, and... People would change. Rulin didn't live in a humble house like Leroy Johnson. In fact, he didn't even live in Short Creek at all. Rulin lived in a big house in Salt Lake City and only visited Short Creek about 10 days a month. I mean, it was like the president of the United States. I mean, we would sit there in the sun for hours waiting for him to come past. 
You know, it was some big privilege to, oh, you get to watch the prophet take off out there in the plane, his Learjet that the people paid for. <laughs> Dear brothers and sisters, let us pray together to Almighty God. Like Leroy Johnson, Rulin Jeffs believed in one-man rule. When asked in a deposition in 1989 who was on his council, he simply said, I am it. I haven't been in this cave since I was a kid. So this was never locked up like this. Used to be locked up worse. Terrell Musser just lifted a big metal bar, locking a big metal gate, and now we're standing in a cave. Oh, you can feel that cold air already. It's a tunnel the FLDS first dug out of a red rock cliff way back in the 50s after a government raid on the community. We'll hear about that in a later episode. But this is all hand-carved and blown in dynamite by we the people. I don't think anybody had a degree or engineering, but yeah. this was originally built out of fear because of the next raid, we'd come up here and hide in this cave. Then after that happened, and we never got raided, it got used for food storage and then guns, and then it got into the apocalypse mentality. Y2K? Yep. God was going to wipe everybody off the earth, and we were going to be the survivors. So we needed everything to start over. So this whole thing was filled with, with what? Like, like flour, wheat, canning supplies, firearms. Anything that you needed to rebuild a civilization. I mean, it's your ark, if that's the way you wanted to look at it. I mean, it goes forever. So you get lost. Going. Yeah, we've turned a bunch of corners and you we're still going. You know where we're going. going. Yes. <laughs> Remember, the millennium was a big deal for FLDS. Jesus was going to return to destroy the wicked and to lift up the righteous. To prepare for this, the faithful had to gather in one place— Short Creek. So all the FLDS in Salt Lake City, everyone from the Prophet all the way down to Elisa Wall, left their homes behind. Short Creek was about to experience a huge culture clash. As the Salt Lakers moved down, it it changed a lot because their expectations was a whole lot different. This is Heather Cook, Terrell Musser's wife, who was shooing kids out the door earlier. It's kind of the same mentality of you take a dog, okay, that's lived in a city its whole entire life and you plop it in the sand and it doesn't know what the hell to do. It doesn't know what's on its feet or why it's on its feet. And that's kind of how this town is, is it's not a city. There is dust storms and dirt storms and half of our roads are dirt and they'd come down in their nice expensive cars and couldn't figure out why their cars were rattling apart on our potholed roads. And <laughs> we're very proud of our potholed roads because we dug them all and scraped them all. And they're quite pissy because they're used to their pavement and their garages and their full-time air conditioning. And it created a definite clash in, in society. So our town was ran like a hierarchy and a lowarchy. You had the king and the queen and the serfs and the maids and all the way down to the bottom. And my family was the second to the last from the bottom. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about the lowerarchy and how that actually landed in your life. How were you treated? What were the rules of that? Okay, so in the lowerarchy, 
as kids, we weren't allowed to engage with the other kids that were in the hierarchy. So if we met them at the park or in school or around town or just doing what we were doing, we weren't necessarily allowed to be with them. There was never any doubt where the Jeffs fell in the hierarchy. Rulin had his Learjet and nice clothes. Oh, and a giant house. The one where Sarah lived last summer. Yeah, I seriously couldn't figure out how to get to the courtyard. That place is huge. (laughs) Right, and you can't build big houses without a lot of money. Your donation was no longer voluntary, it was demanded. Then they would get up and announce in church, okay, this day on Saturday morning, everybody bring all the money you can, and they made a big show of it. This is Andrew Chatwin and Grace Ann Fisher, former FLDS members. Your priesthood was on the line if you didn't show up to those donations, and he required you to turn in everything. They had a big wheelbarrow up by the front by the pulpit, and you put your money in there, and it was like, People would come in with their big old bottles of coins or whatever. It was like a big parade. All the kids gave all their savings if you had anything. A wheelbarrow of coins. Life under Rule and Jeff's started feeling really different from the communal days of Uncle Roy. Just four years after becoming prophet, Rulin Jeffs had a stroke. It made it difficult for him to speak and difficult to lead the community by himself. So his son, Warren, stepped up. Shirley Draper remembers Warren stepping up, right up to the pulpit. He was saying, you know, father says this and father says that when his father was sitting right there and he hadn't said that, or Warren was trying to correct something his father had said, and you know, he, he meant this when he said that, and I'm looking at him going, um, no, <laughs> he didn't. <laughs> when Rulin would stand at the pulpit, Warren would literally whisper in Rulin's ear. Under Warren's advice, Rulin married more wives, some of them as young as 14. He was in his 90s at the time. You know, Warren was changing everything. He started shutting down all of our community events and our celebrations, and he was creating new edicts all the time. And what were some of the things that Warren was starting to implement in town? Uh, Dress code, hair, everyone's doing the big wave, you know. Another one was we could no longer wear red. That one really got me. And I opened my closet doors, and I just started yanking stuff out that had the tiniest little stripe of red. Do you think I like those ugly dresses? No, I was a stylish woman before Warren Jeffs came. And then he started separating us from information from the outside world. You know, don't read newspapers and magazines and don't watch television. And, and then we couldn't even have what he called Gentile music and books in our homes. All fathers were to be referred to as father. And same with mother. We don't use dad or mom or mama. It's mother and father. He started saying, you can't associate with apostates, and you must shun apostates. What would Warren say when he would introduce these new edicts? Did he provide a justification? Oh, he didn't have to justify anything. Mm -hmm. You know, if God said something, that's... In fact, I think he introduces saying, we don't introduce a question mark where Father has put a period. All of this was happening around the time of Elisa Wall's wedding at age 14. 
a wedding Warren presided over while Rulin stood by. And as Warren continued to stand in for Rulin, it became more and more difficult to say exactly who the prophet was. Everyone else believed he was speaking for his father, but I could see that he was the, you know, the great and terrible Oz behind the curtain. There's thousands of people that didn't know anything about Warren. He wasn't born in the community. He was empowered basically at the stroke of his father. Because he was an unknown, then he was able to take the community by storm. This is Willie Jessup. He worked as a bodyguard for Leroy Johnson and then the Jeffs. So he had a behind-the-scenes view of what happened after Rulin's stroke. The best way to describe this whole mess with Warren and his father, go get the movie Weekend at Bernie's and look what Warren did to his father before he died. As long as he could keep Rulin looking like he was the guy, then the party could happen. Okay, quick recap here in case you're not familiar with the 1989 comedy Willie is referring to. In the movie, two low-level businessmen get invited to their boss, Bernie's, fancy house in the Hamptons. And when they get there, they find Bernie dead. But they still want to enjoy their luxury weekend. So they slap some sunglasses on Bernie, prop him up in a chair, and let the party begin. And if you're Warren Jeffs and you want a party and you want all the girls and you want the money, then you got to have dad wave an arm here or there, make him look like he's alive so that the party can happen. There's no cleaner way to describe how corrupt and evil it is than just watch Weekend at Bernie's. Do you get a visual of what I'm trying to tell you? I do. I just really wasn't expecting (laughs) 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 Willie's analogy might be surprising, But he's making a serious point. Warren Jeffs used Rulin's stroke to gain power for himself. And once he got that power, he wasn't going to give it up. In 2002, Rulin died. But the FLDS have never had a very clear process for naming a new prophet. Usually it's the most senior member of the priesthood council. But Leroy Johnson had gotten rid of the council. And Rulin had refused to appoint any new members. Here's Shirley Draper again. When I attended the funeral, I I noticed that there were a lot of things that, you know, we'd never done, like there were guards standing at the door, and it it all felt really, really strange. Warren took his weekend at Bernie's strategy to the limit. He printed a program that said Rulin Jeffs would be presiding over his own funeral. According to Warren, Rulin was still leading the community through Warren, from the afterlife. Warren had a picture of Rulon on a chair sitting next to him. And he would, you know, cock his head like he was listening. And he would be like, Father is just right here. Father is just in the next room. And Father says this, and, and Father wants you to do that when it was all, you know, Warren's voice and Warren's teachings. Unknown to me until after Father's passing, Father had prepared two witnesses this time, inspired of heaven. Warren needed to do more than just talk to a photo of his dad to secure his position as prophet. He needed legitimacy, people to vouch for him. So he asked one of Rulin's widows to speak at the funeral. I now call upon one of father's wives, Mother Naomi. She was only in her 20s. I pray for heavenly father's spirit to be upon me 
Naomi stood up and was talking about how she had seen the mantle of Rulin fall on Warren. Father's light shone in him. The brilliance of his countenance shone. And Father said again, this is the man I want you to follow. When she stood up and did that, it was just to me, it was like, yeah, this is the road he started off on. And here we are. We've arrived. I can bear testimony that he is the prophet. He is the one that Father left here for us to follow. And he goes forward with the courage of heaven. And this is the zoo where the... This was actually the elk pen over here. We had buffalo here. All these pens had zebras. Um, We had a giraffe. We had our gazelles. Just beautiful. Terrell Musser is giving us a tour of Short Creek. We stop at the state line, and Terrell points out a tidy house on the Utah side. That's Roy Johnson's house, the prophet before ruling. Then we drive past a massive building with a massive wall around it. This is the Leroy S. Johnson Meeting House, where FLDS came to worship. At one point, Warren had said that people weren't good enough to have church, and they kind of shut this church house down. I've never seen him use it since I moved here. What, what are they doing with the John Deere tractor? So he's around scraping around the, the meeting house. because he. Had As we pass by the meeting house, there's a couple of boys, probably around 12 years old, dressed in the customary FLDS long-sleeve shirts. It's hot outside, but they're sweeping up yard waste and loading it into a John Deere tractor. It's their way of, oh, I want to show we're good people. We're uh, over here working on the meeting house. Go left here. About a block away from the meeting house is a big, beautiful park. Here's to the right is the Cottonwood Park. When I was growing up, this park was used as your 4th of July celebration, the 24th of July celebration, Uncle Roy's birthday, which we'd all get together and have watermelon, and the Harvest Fest. This park has always been the heart and soul of this community. In the middle of the park is a giant cottonwood tree. Nearby is a big, old-looking machine, a steam-powered press for making roof shingles. When someone needed shingles, then you'd come over as a community and you'd have a shingle day and you'd take all day and you'd build shingles for houses. We just made everything, our bricks, our shingles. Next to it, there's one of the tallest slides I've ever seen. Just watch your audio cables. I couldn't resist. That's so awesome. This is where we grew up. I mean, every day I would drive my bike down here and I'd play here all day. And my mom never had to worry. Terrell walks us over to a stage, which was used during those old community celebrations. So we're very musical people. And during this 4th of July, all the local families would get up and do numbers. In fact, we used to do the sound of music. And at the Harvest Fest, all the families would get together and they'd dance and they'd sing. And we're just normal people, you know? Back in the day, Warren came to power. He got rid of all holidays, birthdays. You didn't celebrate anything out here.
um, this big swing set right here. You got a, it's probably 15 feet high by 50 foot. Swing sets like that got sold for scrap metal to give to the church. Every piece of money went back to the church, and that's how desperate. We lost so many pieces out of this park. Especially to see everything that you loved and helped build. Like, this park was so sad to me. Like, it broke my heart. Back at his house, Terrell tells us that Warren wasn't just canceling community life or issuing edicts and rules. He was also starting to test his power and demanding total loyalty from his followers. I remember buying my first car and my dad's like, you got to go ask the prophet. I'm like, "Who? why does this prophet guy need to know what kind of car I'm driving? Like, doesn't he have better things to do? It can't be red. Okay, you can buy a car if it's this. I'll give you permission to finish your house if you do this. That's the kind of control he had out here. I was almost 18. Roland had just died, and my dad wanted me to go up and take a knee for the new prophet. You know, he said. You were literally supposed to. Yeah, you were supposed to say, I, you know, take a knee and say, I support you. You are the next prophet. I, I acknowledge that the mantle went to you. You hold all the keys to my kingdom. Honestly, I didn't want to. You know, I'd take a knee to God and Heavenly Father, but I'll never take a knee to a man, you know, because that's where we go wrong is when we put everything in a man. And and so I absolutely told him no. And it pissed Warren off to no end. Warren had always been obsessed with obedience, but now he was acting like God, and that was not the religion Terrell grew up in. He thought about leaving but he knew that under Warren, leaving came at a very high price. Warren had made a new rule that family members couldn't speak to apostates, ever. And that meant that if Terrell left, he would never see his family again. The families at home, they burn all the pictures, they gather up the family and say, you no longer have a brother. And the whole family basically just writes you off right there. You're dead. Yep, you're dead. I mean, in fact, uh, they always come to you and say you'd be better off to die than to leave. Terrell tried to stay, but he wasn't exactly obedient. Me and my girlfriend would have been sneaking out at night dating. I didn't feel like we were doing anything wrong because all we were doing is hanging out, cooking steaks, you know. And out here, that was the worst thing in the world that you could be doing. And uh, someone caught us. Warren had called us in and says, hey, I know that you guys have been dating you know, this father's worried about his daughter. What's your intentions? I says, you know, honestly, I'm, I'm ready to leave. I don't believe in this. I don't want to be here. You know, he tried to turn the tables and talk me into, you know, got to build it up for the kingdom. We'll just get you married. It'll all work out. We really want you to be here. And when I just told him flat out no, that's when he got really angry and started yelling and screaming and To me, that showed me who he was. That night, Terrell and his girlfriend packed their bags and left. We grew up in such a tight-knit community that leaving almost kills you. I had to go and mourn the death of my family so I could move on mentally. It was literally killing me, knowing that my family was 45 minutes away 
but I could never see him again. And I could never give my mom a hug. I would never be invited to funerals. I was just completely cut off and isolated, but I was only 45 minutes away. And it took a lot of years to get over that. Terrell didn't come back home to Short Creek for 15 years, not until Warren Jeffs was behind bars and Terrell was battling a terminal illness. We'll hear about Terrell's return later in the season. But back when he left Short Creek, he thought he was losing his family and his community for good. But he still doesn't regret moving away when he did. After I left, it got crazy. I mean, they turned everything in to Warren. Belongs to the prophet. Not God, the prophet. All their possessions, vehicles, underwear, children. Parents literally signed their kids over to the Warren Jeffs. Next time on Unfinished Short Creek, we'll look at the ways the community changed after Tara left and what happened to the people who stayed. And I remember thinking, they're going to trot the Kool-Aid in, and how am I going to get out of here? You were worried for your life in that moment? I really was. It really transitioned into a full dictatorship cult under Warren's era. Tears and wailing, and not one person stood up and challenged it. Not one. Unfinished Short Creek is a co-production of Critical Frequency and Witness Docs. Our team includes Amy Westervelt, John Delore, Abigail Keel, Ash Sanders, Peter Clowney, and me, Sarah Ventry. Chris Bannon is Stitcher's chief content officer. Our fact checker is Naomi Lachance. Our production assistant in Short Creek is Araya Hammond. Special thanks to David Fox for engineering help on this episode. Our original score was composed and performed by Allison Leighton Brown, with Ollie Samlin on pedal steel and Dan Brannigan on trumpet. Thanks to NPR member station KJZZ. This episode includes tape from interviews I did while working there in 2016 and 2017. And of course, we are so grateful to all the people of Short Creek who shared their stories with us. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen.